Parenting teens is hard. Parenting teens in crisis is even harder, and we live in a culture that is really good at hiding. You know, we keep these struggles tucked in real tight around us, and so when something happens in our families that's tough and maybe even a little embarrassing, we feel like we're all alone. I promise you that you're not alone. But you definitely need a place where you can be a part of honest conversations that give a voice to the challenges you're facing. A place that normalizes the hard that we have to walk through with our teenagers. So I'm inviting you to join us on this path towards healing, where we'll discuss topics that drive out shame and teach us how to navigate the emotions and uncertainty that come with parenting a teenager facing the juvenile court system. This twice monthly podcast is presented by Pathways to Hope Network, and we strive to do all of that while honoring the unyielding love a mother has for her child. Hi, friend. It's me, Angie, your designated partner, ally, companion, friend walking beside you through this season of hard. Now, I'm not sure if you noticed or not when you clicked on this episode today, but we've done a slight change up on our name. In this world of keyword searches and algorithms, there's always a little behind-the-scenes tuning that goes on as we try to make it easier for people to find us. Now, when I started this podcast, I titled it Unyielding because it's just something about that word. Something about that word that I felt really describes a mother's heart. But as time went on, I started to learn more about podcasting and the world of podcasting, and I learned how important keywords are to this search process that we do when we're looking for something that's out there that might help us. And so I adjusted the name to Parenting Teens Through the Hard, and it was great because our numbers went up. All of a sudden, people were able to find our show because people like you and me were entering in search words that queued up this podcast. But Parenting Teens Through the Hard still needed a little work, and it's kind of a mouthful, so I decided to do a little more tweaking, and I landed on Through the Hard, Parenting Teens Through Crisis. By incorporating the word crisis, I'm hoping that even more parents who are currently navigating these challenges alone will be able to find their way here, here to this community, and that as a result, they might feel a little less alone. Why am I telling you all of this? Because it's really easy to think that somebody on the other side of a microphone has things all figured out and just knows how to do everything perfectly. And I never want that to be the case here. I am just a person like you who's trying to figure out a way to make our stories count for something. And I have a feeling that there are a lot of you that really need to hear this message today. It's a topic we covered on day two of our online workshop, The Four Principles for Fighting Fear. Learning to address our fears and fix avoidance often means challenging what makes us feel uncomfortable. And while it may seem intimidating to begin tackling our reaction to fear, it's actually the small steps that end up making a big difference. And that's why you being here today is such a big deal. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever stopped to consider what challenges you encounter 
when you are trying to control certain aspects of your teen or young adult's life? Yep, you guessed it. The topic for today is control. We use control as a protection mechanism for our teens, but also for ourselves, right? When our child is doing or has done something that ignites fear in us, we typically feel compelled to address or fix it right away. Why do you think that is? Because as much as we're trying to protect them, we're also trying to protect ourselves from having to deal with or feel the consequence of whatever action they're taking and the way that that impacts and hurts us as moms and dads. Well, this idea of embracing freedom is kind of a slightly different spin on how we look at our relationship with control. See, so often when we feel compelled to jump in and begin over-functioning, it's because our anxiety has hopped in the captain's seat and convinces us that if we can steer the ship, then we're less likely to have to witness watching our kids struggle. Did you catch the word over-functioning in the middle of that statement? Overfunctioning refers to a behavior where an individual takes on excessive responsibilities, control, and tasks that go beyond what is necessary or healthy. Overfunctioners often feel compelled to manage not only their own obligations and emotions, but also the responsibilities, emotions, well being, and needs of those around them even when others might be capable of handling these aspects themselves. Can you relate to that? I certainly do. I can actually confess here and now that I am a chronic overfunctioner in recovery. This behavior stems from a desire to control outcomes, manage anxiety, or fulfill a need for approval or self-worth. And of course, it comes at a cost. Overfunctioning can lead to imbalances in relationships, increased stress, and it can hinder the personal growth of both the overfunctioner and those that they're trying to help. Girls, we think that if our child would only act right, then everything would be okay. If they would only do their homework, if they would only be respectful, if they would only go to school, if they would only break up with that person, if they would only find the right friends, if they would only talk to me, if they would only own up to the mistakes that they're making, if they would only be grateful for all the sacrifices we make for them. I think you get the picture, right? I mean, this list could go on and on and on. And for those of you who have not experienced the full transition of your teens into adults, let me just rip off the band-aid and give it to you straight. It doesn't end. It never ends. Those intrusive thoughts are always there because your child's choices and decisions will naturally provoke anxiety in you. No matter how wonderful our kids are, we will always, always look at the areas that lack and think, if only. If only she met the right person. If only his boss saw his potential. If only she didn't have to have a drink at night to be able to relax. If only he weren't so careless with money. It doesn't end. It does not end. Unless you find a way to shut it down. In order to shut it down, we have to find a way to bypass fear and worry in the mother hub of our circuit system and create a clear pathway from our concern straight into love. 
Well, let me ask you a question. How much of a difference would it make in your day today if you were able to know that everything was going to be okay? I mean everything, big picture everything. Like if an angel from heaven appeared before you, like old school style, and said, fear not, I am a messenger of God, and I'm here to tell you that everything is going to work out fine. Only he'd probably sound a lot more angel-like. But I'm being serious. If you were able to watch it all unfold on a movie screen and see how every struggle that your child has today, tomorrow, next year, over their entire life, every struggle, heartache, hurt, and bad decision, all of it ended up being okay. How would that change how you're parenting today? Seriously, if you were relieved from the duty to ensure that everything was going to be okay for them, how would that change your relationship with them right now? In a word, what would there be space for more of in your relationship with your child? That's a great thought in theory, right? Like, yes, please, could we summon all the angels? But instead of looking at our concerns and choosing, you guys, the path of fear and worry, we have to rewire ourselves to choose release. See, taking steps to acknowledge and address our tendency to overfunction is crucial for several significant reasons. First and foremost, it helps us to create more space for the things that we know are important in our relationship with our child, but often get pushed to the back burner because we're too busy putting out fires. I'm talking about things like relationship, communication, trust, love, respect, empathy, compassion, acceptance, but also because control has some ugly side effects on us as parents. The first of many is frustration and stress. See, we have a tendency to place unrealistic expectations or standards on our child. Expectations and standards that are not set on their current capacity, but based instead on the relationship that we have with their potential. Those failed expectations often lead us to feeling frustrated and stressed. Another side effect is feeling emotionally drained by our constant fear that they will make poor choices or mistakes. Another one is a loss of significant time and effort. The time and effort that we spend constantly keeping tabs on every aspect of our teen's life, such as schoolwork and social activities, friendships, relationships, internet usage, the list goes on and on. And keeping track of all of those things robs us of a ton of time and effort. Are you starting to see some of the side effects of this relationship that we have with control? Do you need more? How about the conflict and the tension that's felt within the family and the loss of peace in our homes as our teens resist or rebel against what they view as overbearing control? How about another one, the strain that's caused in our relationship with our teens When we struggle to trust them to make the right decision and they know the weight of that decision and every decision has the power to either please us or completely unravel us. I'm just getting started. What about the parental burnout that we feel and the time that we miss out on spending in our other relationships because of our excessive involvement in their life? 
or the emotional roller coaster of anxiety, guilt, worry, regret. Anxiety, guilt, worry, regret each time we try to control their choices or behaviors and fail. And let's not forget about the feelings of shame and failure that we experience every time we become fixated on our desired outcome and they fall short of living the life that we want for them. How am I doing at painting this picture? It's a problem, right? I hope that if nothing else today, we're able to see how our overfunctioning is creating some trouble spots in our relationship with our teen. And that's really the point that I'm trying to get across. Why? Because as I've said before, this journey is as much about you as it is about them. And this is an area, you guys, that we actually do have the ability to work on and make an impact in. An area that will produce fruit for your labor. An area that will impact your relationship with your teen. An area that has the capacity to increase your influence in their life and also positively impact your life. This, my friend, is in your lane. Now, aside from the side effects that we experience from our overfunctioning, it's also really important for us to work on breaking this habit for several other reasons. As we begin to work on this area in our life, we begin to experience some positive side effects. What are some of those positive side effects? It promotes independence. See, when we pull back on overfunctioning, it allows our teens to make decisions and learn from their mistakes, which promotes independence and self-reliance. It empowers them to become capable and responsible adults. Is it going to be a bumpy road getting there? Uh-huh. Are they going to get some scrapes and bruises in the process? Yeah. Working on our overfunctioning also builds trust. Letting go of control and respecting your teen's autonomy helps build trust in your relationship because they see that you are beginning to give them a say in their own life. And trust is a crucial foundation for healthy parent-teen dynamics. The third way working on our overfunctioning helps is to enhance communication. When our kids feel that their parents are open to their opinions and their ideas, they're more likely to communicate openly. And this leads to better parenting communication and understanding. And finally, it reduces parental stress. Micromanaging and trying to control every aspect of a teen's life can lead to high levels of stress for parents. Letting go of some control can reduce this stress. While letting go of control can be challenging, it's a crucial aspect of parenting teenagers. Striking the right balance between guidance and autonomy creates an environment where teenagers can thrive and learn and develop into confident, responsible, and well-adjusted adults. Now that's all great in theory, right? But what does it look like to let go of control? Well, I kind of want to introduce you to this different concept one that I've been working on replacing control in my life with. It's called balanced oversight. The concept of balanced oversight versus control in parenting is important for us to understand, and it helps us to kind of put parameters around our tendency to overfunction. What it does is it gives us a little bit of a roadmap on how to effectively nurture and guide our child as they're getting older, particularly when we're dealing with a teen that's in crisis. 
as a parent who's learning to do something new or once again learning a new dance. Only this is a dance we're choosing on our own, not that our child is leading. Now learning a new dance requires that we learn new steps, and that's uncomfortable. But in order to grow, we have to know what the dance looks like. We aren't born with this knowledge, and we certainly don't yet have the muscle memory required to perform this without thinking. So let's take a look at balanced oversight versus control and see if we can spot the difference. Balanced oversight. Here's four examples. Setting curfews. Working together with your teen to establish reasonable curfews. This ensures that they get enough rest while gradually giving them a sense of autonomy. Communication guidelines. Encourage open, respectful communication within the family. This includes listening actively to teens' concerns and opinions, which helps build trust and cooperation. Digital device usage. Having family guidelines for screen time and online activity that promote a healthy balance between technology and other activities. This one takes a ton of discipline. Homework and study habits. Encouraging good study habits and offering support, such as a quiet place to study or access to resources, facilitate the creation of a plan of their choosing while allowing them to take charge of their own learning. Now, what, if anything, did you notice about the examples that I gave of balanced oversight? In each one, the child had a role in establishing it. In other words, we have a part and they have a part. Also, they all require courage as we transition into more guidance and less control. Now let's compare these to some examples of what it looks like when we're over-functioning. Micromanaging every aspect. Over-monitoring and controlling every aspect of our teen's life from their daily schedule to their friendships and social activities without giving them space to make choices. Ignoring their input. Dismissing or ignoring our teen's thoughts, feelings, and opinions and making decisions for them without their input, even when it directly affects their well-being. Isolating them. Isolating our teens from their friends and support networks, preventing them from seeking help or confiding in others. Blame and criticism. Feeling so depleted that we resort to blaming and criticizing our teens for the areas they are struggling in, which often works against us by increasing feelings of guilt, shame, and inadequacy in them. Strict punishments using harsh or punitive measures as a response to their struggles, which do not address the underlying issue. Emotional manipulation. Using emotional manipulation, guilt, or threats to control our teens' behaviors or decisions, which can further damage their emotional well-being. Sometimes we do this by sending the message that I'm only okay if you are okay. That's a ton of pressure, and it's not fair. These are just kids who are learning and growing. They shouldn't be responsible for our well-being. That's up to us to monitor and set the boundaries in place that we need in order to be okay. And finally, excessive enabling. 
enabling negative behavior, providing excessive support that perpetuates the problem without addressing the root cause. There is usually some avoidance that's happening on our part here when enabling is present. And this is a good place to kind of seek some outside help. Working towards balanced oversight is crucial for our well-being and our relationship with our teens. This approach is constantly evolving as our child grows and mature and requires some internal work on our part to get there. It's important for us to recognize that our teens need increasing levels of independence, but they still require guidance and support. Emotional regulation, effective communication, active listening, and understanding our teens' individual needs are the key to helping us achieve some balance. Every child is unique, and what works for one may not work for another. Parenting really is this dynamic process, and being flexible, adaptable, and empathetic can help you strike the right balance between providing the necessary structure and allowing your teenager to become more independent. Now that we've kind of spent some time recognizing the difference between balanced oversight and overfunctioning, I'm going to give you five practical strategies to help you practice letting go the next time fear wants you to rip your child out of the driver's seat and take over as captain, okay? Tip number one, self-reflect and acknowledge your fears. When you feel that itch that's telling you, do something, do something, do something, you have to stop this, you have to do something, Start by recognizing your own fears and anxieties about the situation. Self-reflection can help you understand why you feel the need to control this aspect of their life. We've talked about this before as the concept of pulling the string. Number two, focus on open communication. This is something that we really have to work on as we begin to see our children shifting from that parent-child dynamic where do as I say to them having more of a say in their own life. And we really want to foster an environment of open and honest communication. Encourage your teens to express their thoughts and feelings without fear of judgment. You know, ask them, this is what I'm thinking, or this is the rule that I want to set. What do you think about that? Or this is what time I, this is what time I want you to be home. What do you think about that? Start getting their opinion on things. Listen actively and empathetically to what they have to say and talk open and honestly about your concern, your real concern. Mine usually comes from a place of fear. And so a lot of times when I'm in discussion with what I think my kids should do and I want to control the situation, I usually start off by saying, my irrational fear is that, and then I fill in the blank. So let's say we're having a discussion about what time my son's going to come home at night. And he's saying he wants to stay out until 1230. And I think he should be home at 10. This is an opportunity for us to have a conversation. And so I will say my irrational fear is that if you stay out past 12, you're going to get hit by a drunk driver or something's going to happen and I won't be able to get in touch with you and I won't know where you are and you won't come home. There's something about saying those words out loud and just recognizing that like this is my fear that's speaking. 
And we don't always have to be ruled by our fear. In fact, when we let go a little bit and we meet somewhere in the middle with our kid and it goes okay, it helps to develop new neural pathways in how we relate to them. We see the pattern of, I was able to give a little and nothing bad happened. They were able to have a say and nothing bad happened. Hopefully that makes sense. Number three is set clear, negotiable boundaries. Establish clear and reasonable boundaries that ensure safety and well-being. Now, this is something that you're going to want to involve your teenager in the process of and allow them to have a say in setting the rule. The more it's their idea, the more that they're going to be bought into it. And this can promote a sense of ownership and responsibility, and it creates a win-win. But you have to be willing to negotiate. And again, be honest about your concerns here. Now, if you have a child who you can set a boundary for and they respect that boundary and it's not an issue, then this may not apply to you. But if you have a child who is always butting heads with you on that boundary, then try and work on setting those boundaries together, giving them a say in the process. Number four, let them make mistakes. Understand that making mistakes is a part of the learning process. Allow your teenagers to experience consequences when appropriate. It's a valuable teaching tool. The consequence is the punishment. It doesn't have to be personal. Sometimes the solution, even though we don't like it, is to simply let them. In this space, I have to recognize that I have to take my hands off their problem and allow it to be theirs in order to prioritize the relationship. And I really had to build a hard rule for myself on this one. The rule that I have for myself, and I'm not saying this is for you, but the rule that I have for myself is that if it's ever a choice between my relationship with them or trying to control their behavior, I must choose relationship every time. Anything that gets in the way of me feeling love for them has to be a hard pass. That one boundary, you guys, that I set for myself made me an infinitely better parent. Because the bottom line is, I don't have control no matter how hard I try. So why sacrifice the relationship? If it comes between relationship, let them. Number five, provide guidance, not control. Shift your role from a controller to a guide. Offer advice, support, resources when needed, but avoid dictating every step of the way. This is going to feel completely unnatural. But remember, new dance moves. I'm the guide, not the controller. I'm the guide, not the controller. And stay in your lane. Number six is to practice self-care. Parenting is emotionally taxing. Prioritize self-care to manage your own stress and emotions. This might include daily time exercising, being in mindfulness, prayer, seeking support from friends, having lunch dates, or therapy for yourself. Time for you. And number seven is to be patient and flexible. Remember that change takes time and progress will not always be linear. Be patient with yourself and your teen. Adapt your approach as needed and be flexible in your parenting style. Understand that 
you will make mistakes along the way. There's no way you're going to get this perfect. We've never done it before. Use these experiences as opportunities for growth and learning, both for you and your teen. Remember that this process of letting go of control in parenting is ongoing, and it's going to require adjustments as your teen matures and as they face new challenges. The goal is to create a healthy, nurturing environment that allows your teen to develop their independence while still feeling supported and loved. So once we begin to learn and understand how to operate more in a space of balanced oversight and less from a space of controlling overfunctioner, what do we do with all that leftover energy? Because this all sounds great in theory, right? But if we're used to, conditioned to, and compelled to control as a way of managing and dealing with our anxiety, well, that anxiety doesn't just go away once we start to practice being more balanced. It's still there, right? Well, if you're anything like me, your brilliant mind will be quick to find a replacement for that anxious behavior. Maybe you'll fill that anxious space with food screen time, Netflix binges, a glass of wine, or three. Maybe you'll fill that anxious space by numbing, avoiding, indulging, and then we end up with a whole new set of problems. So what do we do? Well, I read an article online by Dr. Amy Johnson titled, Don't Make It Happen, Allow It to Happen. And in it she writes, I've noticed that things go much more smoothly when I give up control and just let them happen. Unfortunately, I'm terrible at this. I'm not kidding. As much as I study and teach this idea, and it's a lot, trust me, it's the hardest lesson for me to learn. Have you ever heard the saying, you always teach what you need most to learn? It's very true in this case. Instead of relaxing and knowing that things turn out better when I stay out of the equation, I tend to force things to happen. Don't get me wrong, things do get done this way, but it's not the easy way. And it's definitely not the way that feels best. While I'm micromanaging and obsessing over details, I have a sense that I'm actually standing in my own way. I feel stressed out and out of control rather than calm and in control. Hmm. Interesting how controlling things actually leads to feeling out of control. She goes on to talk about this idea that we're being carried through life by an underlying current of well-being but many of us are paddling against the current heading upstream. Anytime we try to step in and force things to happen, it's like we're going against the current. We feel that tension and experience the exhaustion of fighting and fighting against everything that we're scared of when instead we could let go of yours. We could trust this boat we've built for our family. We could trust God. We could believe that even if there are things up ahead, hard things, that we'll still somehow find a way through. We could just stop paddling against the current and making things more complicated than they are. We could stop thinking there is something more that we need to do, learn, practice, or figure out. We could just let go of the oars and let the current carry us downstream and focus on the only thing that we were meant to do in our teen's life. Be present. As I mentioned earlier, this was all part of our last workshop on the four principles for fighting fear. 
If you're interested in attending one of the remaining workshop dates, you can find a link to register in the show notes below. The workshop's free, but it does give you the option to donate in case your heart feels led to pay it forward. Our next workshop is December 14th. Hope to see you there. Okay, friends. Well, that wraps it up for this week. I really hope that you found this information helpful and that it served you in some way today. In complete transparency, I want you to know that I am not in any way, shape, or form an expert in the field of parenting. No, you're not going to find any fancy initials after this name. In fact, You know, I'm just a mom like you who had to navigate some really tough experiences with my teenage kids. And in my own desperate need for hope and healing in my family and in my life, I've spent a lot of time and energy researching and referencing all the things because if there is one thing I have learned, it's that we're stronger together. Your ratings and reviews mean so much. In fact, they can make or break a podcast. So if you found this information helpful today, would you take 60 seconds to subscribe, rate, and review? It would mean so much to the mama who hasn't found us yet and to me. Oh, and don't forget to check out Pathways to Hope Network's website, And be sure to subscribe. Each week, we send out one to two messages that are designed to encourage and equip you as you find your path towards hope and healing. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram. Pathways to Hope Network is a nonprofit organization with a mission to serve families with children in the juvenile court system. And we do that by providing cost-free support, resources, and community. The link will always be in the show notes below. Remember, you were never meant to go through this alone.